What a beautiful number that is. Like that. Sounds like something from Isaiah chapter 6. The Lord's looking for somebody who would go. Guess what Isaiah said? Here my Lord, send me, right? I hope we all have hearts that are that receptive. When the Lord says, I need something, that we say, pick me, pick me. Well, somebody has said they want to pick today because we're going to have our verses quoted to us. I know of one. Is there any others in the room ready to go too? No? Okay. Evan, here we go. He's going to come up. This is way more, way more nerve-wracking than getting up to speak in front of Patch, because they do all, they do all the performing. I'm just, you know, a few words and done. Um, but now, I just wanted to, to, to say this. I'd first thrown it out, but just ended up here. So bear with me. There may be a couple words here or there. But Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Uh, with every spiritual blessing uh, in the heavenly places in Christ, who has just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless or be holy and blameless. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, uh, and to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him, we also have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, uh, with, a, with, a view to the or with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, and things on the earth. This is the tricky part for me. In him, uh, in him we are, in him we are predestined. Obtain the inheritance. In him we have, and we in him we have obtained an inheritance, uh, being predestined according to him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who were the first in Christ that we were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, having heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, and having also believed, in him you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is pledged as our inheritance, with, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, and to the praise of his glory. Yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Isn't that great? You want to do it next week? <laughs> Work on it. It's worth your time. It's worth your time. Scripture is meant for us to hide in our hearts. And we have a value for that too, don't we? so that we might not sin against thee. This is a, a good study. I've been enjoying this study with you. Uh, 
we are getting close to the end of our study. As you will see in our passage today, we're going into verse uh, 13 and 14 today and start that little section. So let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for your word. The fact that it's written down is quite, quite a wonderful blessing for us, that we could open up this book at any time and we could read from it and we can learn from it to know that you're speaking right to our hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord, for that. But thank you also for giving us capabilities to put things in our heart, to memorize, to uh, see the same thing over and over again and, and come to that place where we're not only convinced of it, but we're thinking of it. Even when we don't plan to, it comes to the surface because that's the way your word is and the way you work in us. And so, Lord, may we give our attention to this time because of all that you have done for us to make it possible, we can give the next few moments of our lives to learning more about it and serving you better. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless our study today and draw us closer to the Savior because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, verse 13 and 14, right there toward the end of what uh, was just quoted to us. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The word is sealed. We're going to begin that study today. And we're going to get parts of the verses today. We'll get more parts next week, all right, as we keep developing this passage. But as you recall, these verses 3 through 14 started with very powerful words. Verse number 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have emphasized in this study what he has done to bless us. We have a list of words that you're looking at, even if you carry that little book about with you, or you're filling it in with notes. If you're saying, I don't have one of those, there's still some back there. But... Uh, those are the things he's done for you, as blesses you and me. They're our identity in Jesus Christ. But the verse that I just read to you in verse 3, not only declares that God has blessed us, and such a blessing it is, he has given to us every spiritual blessing, the verse says. And we've hardly even put a dent into that. <laughs> All these blessings we've talked about, being chosen, being holy, being blameless, being predestined, being adopted, being redeemed, being forgiven, informed, made an heir. Today we add the word sealed to that. Those are great studies, but that is not the principal part of our study. Key to it all is the praise that goes to our God for doing this for us. That's how it started, right? Blessed be who? It says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
stated so many times during this study is this phrase, we are so unworthy. We are so unworthy. There is no reason at all that God should have looked at us with love, that he should have looked at us in mercy, that he should have looked at us in any kind of favor, but the reality is he did. He did look at us. And he saw in our hopeless condition, as we were, the lostness of our rebellious natures and sins, and he loved us. That's an astounding thing to put together. He loved us. The passage says, blessed be God. And it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And it says another time to the praise of his glory. And it says another time to the praise of his glory. They keep repeating that over and over. I wonder why. It serves like the chorus of a song. You have all the verses that declares what the Lord has done. And then you get to the chorus and you sing it over and over again to the praise of his glory. What else we have seen in our study in the fact that God is at work in you, the whole force of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are bringing these things about. Not often in Scripture do you see all three persons active in the same passage. Sometimes one is emphasized, one or another, and different things like that. This is one of those unique passages where it talks about both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of them are at work in you. The Father is the one, according to our passage, that chooses and makes us holy and blameless and predestines us to the adoption as sons through our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Son is the one who has redeemed you through his own blood. He is the only one of the Trinity that died for you. It was his blood that redeemed you. It was his blood that brought you forgiveness. He has informed us of his will and the ultimate summing up of all things uh, and made us heirs. Over and over, the text makes this very short to us. All of this happened to us because of Christ. It was in Christ, in him, in him, in him. How often it says it in the text. Because without Christ, you have no identity before the Father like we've been learning. Without Christ, you have no salvation. Without Christ, there is no other way to the Father. We cannot minimize that work of Christ on our behalf. We cannot minimize that at all. And now we talk about the Holy Spirit. Enter into the last two verses here. He's also at work. He's part of this whole thing that we're studying here. As we find today, he has sealed us in Christ. We're going to discuss more of that as we go along. But it rounds out three important works of God on your behalf. Selected by the Father, saved by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. This is what's been happening. This is what he has done. And this passage is so very precious to me. I'll give you hints of that as I go along, but way back in 1989, 
Seems like a long time ago, suddenly. That's when I first became a pastor. I was young. I was very inexperienced. I didn't have a beard. That's when I knew I needed one. I didn't know what I was doing. I confess that. I did not have any clue. Well, one of the hardest things I recall having to do each week was to come up with a sermon. If any of you have had the privilege of preaching, uh, you know what that's like to think, what do I speak on? How do I get there? How do I write this thing? And I was there every single week. And that was pretty frustrating and pretty intense to, to come up with. I, I honestly thought it was one of the hardest things I've ever done was to come up with a new sermon every single week. That's when I used to preach topical sermons. You want a hard job, that's it. Preaching topical sermons is not easy. Uh, that means every single week you have to come up with something new. You have to come up with something different. And that is an incredible burden to bear because there's a sense that what you say this week ought to be better than last week. Wow, was that heavy for a new pastor to come up with. The church I was serving had just came off a church split. And that's how I ended up as pastoring them. But they were hurting people. They were, they were defeated people. They looked at themselves as if they were unwanted. Their pastor had left with half the congregation. And they thought that uh, God's blessing wasn't on them anymore. The Lord led me at that point, out of my frustration, thankfully, to preaching a series from Ephesians chapter 1. That was the first thing that he put upon my heart. It was the first series I'd ever preached through. I've seen it now in ministry for 34 years. The same passage I love coming to Ephesians chapter 1. The more I do, the more I stand in awe of the God who has blessed us. What he has done for us, that he would even care to give us such an identity as this one we have in Christ. That is such a precious thing. And for you and me, believer in Christ, this is such an assuring passage, isn't it? No doubt you're very glad that Jesus Christ died for your sins, right? Good. Four of us are. The rest of us are too. You're just afraid to say so. It just, there it is. We're glad that he died for our sins. We're also glad that we're going to spend eternal life with him. Isn't that true? Yes. Those are great things. Don't you wish he would come soon? How about today? Okay. See if we can manipulate that in any way. There's so much wickedness in this world. I know, it's just driving me crazy. Heaven looks more and more wonderful. <laughs> and hopefully our exit is soon. But as you know, we are in this world. We are here. And not only are we bombarded by sin all around us, but we're also prone to fall for it. To get tangled up in it. It's not uncommon, it's not uncommon for a believer to experience the shame, the burning of sin, the feeling that our relationship with God has changed, 
that, that maybe his love is diminished or his care is cold. Or maybe he, he looks at you with displeasure now. As if he's abandoned you altogether. I wish we didn't sin. But to claim to be without sin would make God a liar. It would make me a liar too. Sin has a solution though, and it's in our Savior. That's what we love about the text in front of us. He died to set us free from the penalty of sin. I praise him for that. Our struggle right now is in the presence of sin. The fact that we still carry about with us that old flesh, that sin nature, it's prone to leading us away from God. You know, it will every single time. That's why I don't even trust that thing called a free will. I know where it's going. I don't trust that thing. I don't like it. I can't get rid of it. It's there. I really doubt that I have to explain all that to you because that's life as a Christian. That's what we go through. You and I know that sin brings shame. We know that it messes with our assurances. It tears up our conscience. It makes us experience such negative thinking about God as if he's given up on us. So here's our situation. And I'm setting it before you as simply as I can. We are saved, yet we are sinners. That's kind of like oil and water almost, isn't it? We have the word of God and all his promises. And yet we have the flesh and all its defeats. God knows we struggle. His scripture is full of very important passages. Some of my favorites, like Galatians chapter 5, that explains this struggle. I like to call it the internal battlefield. We actually did a sermon series on that many years ago in Galatians chapter 5. It's, it's based on this simple picture that either you are walking by the spirit or you're walking by the flesh. There's no place in between those two. You can't mingle them because the spirit does not cooperate with the flesh. They don't make deals like, oh, you could have him for Tuesday and Wednesday, but I get him for Sunday. He doesn't, the spirit does not do that. He doesn't compromise with the flesh. He doesn't say, oh, okay, I get it. You're just having a bad day. I'll let you go through it. That's okay. He doesn't say it's okay. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, commands us, and listen to this, commands us, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Why must that be a command? Shouldn't we want that? Shouldn't that be our heartbeat? I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to follow the Spirit. I'm going to do what the Spirit says. Here in Ephesians 1, guess who's on the page now? The Holy Spirit. He's no different from Galatians 5 to Ephesians 1 or to Romans 8 or wherever else you find him. But I want you to understand that this passage in Ephesians 1, when his name is brought forward, that is pure refreshment for a weary soul. 
That is just what we need at this time. Because being saved, we're still sinners. And sometimes we try to figure out how does it move us from these promises to how do I live on Tuesday morning? And how do I get through all this to where someday I stand before him in glory? How does that happen? I'm going to show you some. A little bit of that yet this morning. Having the word of God and all his promises, having the flesh and all its defeats, I have a confidence that God is at work in us. I have a confidence that I didn't make up in my mind. I didn't fabricate this. I've read it directly from his word. He said, he who began a good work in you will complete it. The day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.6. I hang everything right there on that verse when I say, how am I going to make it? How am I going to make it? He does this. I've got a picture that uh, Evan's going to pop up here on the screen. If you were in my Sunday school class in the last year or so, you would have seen this because we talked about this quite a bit. I think it's coming. We were dealing with the topic of sanctification. You know what that is, right? That's a big word you learn in in theological seminary. Costs you a lot of money, but uh, it's an important word. It's actually your Christian life. It's that process that's at work in you right now where he is making you holy, sanctified. It's in that whole family of being holy. It's all the same word in, in the Greek. But sanctification means set apart from sin. Set apart from sin, all right? Now, that's from the penalty of sin right now. Someday, from the presence of sin, I look forward to that. Someday, from the power of sin, I look forward to that. But he's in that process. Right now in your life, he is sanctifying you. I'm not going to go into a thousand verses to prove it, but it's there in Scripture. But he not only sets you apart from sin, he sets you apart to holiness. He sets you apart for a purpose. And this is the essence of the word sanctification. I've given this illustration before, but I think it sums it up pretty nice. You take a dozen eggs, pull them out of the refrigerator. You paid $6 for them, right? <laughs> Feels like it. But you, you're, you know they're all precious, <laughs> so you don't want to drop one. So you pull them out, and you're going to make a cake. And say that that cake costs for two or three eggs. We'll just say two for fun. All right. So you open up the dozen. You don't take all of them. You take two. You pick up two, you set them over on the countertop in a safe place where they don't roll off, but you set them over there. What have you just done? You have just sanctified your eggs. You took them away from one place, you put them in another place for a purpose. They are now sanctified. That's the concept of the word, that God has taken you away from that penalty of sin. He has placed you into a position where you're to be holy, and you have a purpose. He didn't do it accidentally. He had a reason for doing that in your life. Okay? That's a pretty cool concept. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's doing that in you right now. That is his work in your life right now. He is sanctifying you. Ultimately, the work will be done. You'll be standing in glory. But the process sometimes can get a little bit rough. This diagram here is the three phases, we call it, of sanctification. The first one is positional. This is what God's Word is saying. This is who you are. 
This is who you are. This is who you are. This is what I've done. This is at salvation. He has declared everything true about you. Not only that you're set apart and you're saved, but you're also, believe it or not, you're glorified. It says that in Romans. You're already glorified. You say, I don't feel like it. Look in the mirror. That won't help. Glorified. What that means is that God is so sure that you're at the finish line in heaven with him that he's already got you seated there. Ephesians chapter 2. You're already seated there. He already sees you as the finished project. And he's never failed. He never will. You will not be his first failure. All right? That's a position you have right now in Christ. Living up to that position is hard. We're called to be Christians. We are called Christians. We're called to be Christians. And yet we struggle at times at being a Christian, don't we? That's the middle part. That's where we're progressing in life. Hopefully today, you are different in Christ than you were a year ago. That's called growth. I hope that's true of you. Because Peter says, either you are moving and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or else you are set up for falling. <laughs> falling from your steadfastness. Not from your salvation, but from your steadfastness. If you're ever in a car and the driver is not steadfast, get out. Because that's not going to be an easy ride. You don't know where they're going to go. The Christian life, we're supposed to be steadfast people. But more times than not, this is the way we look like we're living. You ever feel that way? See, when Bill trains people to fly, that's not recommended, right? You don't want a pilot that flies like this. He might be a stump pilot, and you still don't want to ride with him, all right? This is what the Christian life looks like more times than not. Have you ever felt that? Sometimes you're upside down. Sometimes you're sideways. Sometimes you're saying, which way am I going? Oh, I read in God's word that he has done this for me. But today, I don't see it. I don't feel it. I'm confused. I've gotten into something I shouldn't have done. I feel ashamed. I feel defeated. God doesn't look at me the same anymore, does he? More times than not, this dominates your mind where you're at. You're going through it and saying, I'm confused, Lord. I am confused. And the reality is sin will confuse you every time. That's its nature. It does confuse us. It makes us feel all that. But look at the end. Guess where you're going to be? Scripture says... In John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and 2 and 3, it's right in that whole passage, beautiful. When we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Romans 8 tells us that he's conformed us to the image of his son. When we stand in glory, we will be perfect. We will look like our Savior. In our attitude, in our person, I, I don't know how all else to describe that, except that the goal is that we conform to his image. It's going to happen. I love that fact. I live for that fact, that this is someday going to work out the way God said it would. In other words, what he promised in my position, he's going to fulfill in my perfection. 
Isn't that great news? But how do you get between the two? How do you make this and that somehow fit on a Tuesday morning? That's our struggle. Okay, Evan, let's try the second slide, because we're going to add to it. On this side, here's your identification. You're blessed. You're chosen. You're holy. You're blameless. You're predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, informed, heir, and sealed. We believe it, right? Ephesians has been telling us that. That's what it says. And you say, but this is where I'm living. Guess what we're going to be in the end? Blessed, chosen, holy, blameless, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, uh, informed, and heir, and sealed. What he has promised to you today, he will fulfill when that day comes to. That does not change. You want to see something even cooler? It doesn't change in the middle either. Even though we might feel this. We might experience this. We might struggle in this. God does not change his word about you. All the way through, you are blessed. All the way through, you are chosen. All the way through, you are holy and blameless before him. Powerful, isn't it? Such an important thing to remember when you get into the middle. And you say, but how do I keep my perspective? How, how do I keep it? You know, how, how do I keep this so I could remember that on those bad days? How could I remember that? The, our God has given you a blessing bigger than you could ever imagine. He has put within you the Holy Spirit. That is God in you. The one who's promised, the one who will bring it about, is in you at this very moment. Do you think he's going to let go? Nope. Do you think he's going to fulfill what he said? Yep. That's the beauty of this all. When we get into this passage, it says, he sealed you. You know when you need it sealed? Back here. In here. Because that is going to happen. He has promised it. The Holy Spirit of promise. This is why this little passage, some people tune it out because, oh, it gets into doctrine. It starts talking about the Holy Spirit and all this. I don't understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your guide. He is your teacher. He is your helper. These are the words. Counselor. These are the words we find in Scripture. But he is God in you. And he's going to bring it about. He's going to bring about the promises. Even on those days when you feel upside down, that's the beauty of this whole passage. Okay, we're going to turn this off so I don't go blind as I walk over here to where my notes are waiting for me. How does this all fit? How does all that put together? How does it work? In chapter 1, verse 13, you see it with me. Here's your position. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. When? When you were saved. You were sealed when you were saved. It says so here. Listening to the message of truth, gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed. 
That's your position. In the end, verse 14, it goes to the very end of the scale when you're perfected. In verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to, watch this, a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The day when God collects everybody who is his own and says, come home. That's when it's all said and done and we stand in his presence to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is active in both sides of this story, but also especially in the middle. How do I know that? Because he is the Holy Spirit of promise. You don't have the tangible parts of this promise, do you? All you have is what's recorded in God's word and you believe it in your heart. You walk by faith not by sight. And as we walk along, we count on promises, don't we? There's a lot of people who promise you things and they don't really mean it. Or they can't really fulfill it. Does God mean it when he promises you something? No good? Yes? Can God fulfill what he promises to you? The Holy Spirit is proof of that. The Holy Spirit in you is the promise. We have the word pledge. He is the, the promise. What's, what's the word in New American Standard here? Uh, verse 14, he's given as a pledge. That's actually the word. He's given as a pledge of our inheritance. You know, three times in Scripture, God uses the word pledge that you see here. I think it's kind of interesting because two of those are directed right at the Corinthian church. And I always think, ooh, <laughs> why? <laughs> That's always my question. I know the background of the Corinthian church. You probably do too. They were a mess. They were a mess. You name whatever spiritual thing you ought to be doing, they weren't. You name whatever sinful thing they shouldn't be doing, they did. They were a complete mess from one end to the other. And Paul had to work with this church that had intense immaturity problems. They were arguing and fighting and all these other issues with sin, misunderstanding how to live the Christian life, creating things that weren't supposed to be. Uh, Paul wrote to them more than any other church in his epistles. And this is one of the pledges he gives in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 22 to 23. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he has established us with you in Christ and anointed us in God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. There he is linking again the promises of God with the thing he's going to bring about. A pledge, the Holy Spirit. Second time he picked up the pen to write to them, 2 Corinthians 5, 4, he added this, For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gives us the Spirit as a pledge. If you go through that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, he's talking about 
laying down this old flesh and this body, it's wearing away. It's going, it's not going to last. It's going to eventually die. He pictures it like a tent, slowly being taken down. He says, someday I'm going to go to be with him. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And as he's walking through that, he says, you know, in this body, we groan. Have you ever noticed that? I'm getting good at it. I could walk across the room and go, uh, 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 uh. You know that feeling when you sit down? You do that too? Or is it just me? Sit down, uh, get up, uh. It's like, we groan. That picture I had up there, that spinning around thing, oh, that's it. This is what it's like in the body. We're grown, we're burdened. We can't wait to be set free from these things. It's coming. The mortal will be swallowed up by life, Paul said. Now, who has prepared us for all this? Who is the one that started the process in the beginning? Who is the one that's going to bring it about at the end? God is. And how do you know? He's given you a pledge. And who is that? The Holy Spirit. That's twice he brought that up to the Corinthians, who were always upside down and spinning around. And yet they were believers in God, and someday you're going to meet them. You see them in heaven, and they say, yeah, I went to the Corinthian Bible Church. Don't walk away. All right? Brothers and sisters in Christ that the Lord has redeemed, and they will be finished products, and you're going to love them. You may not have gone to their church then, but you will love being with them there in glory. God has made this promise. In Ephesians, he brings it up again, and that's the passage we're looking for. He's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We use this word pledge a lot. Honestly, we do. We may not say arabon, because that's a Greek word. But it is earnest money, so to speak. It is a down payment. It is what you set when you buy something that you don't have all the money for, but you promise that you will continue to pay for it. You know, those things, little things called mortgages and stuff, or car payments. And they say, give us a down payment. Give us some sort of earnest, some sort of Purchase price and advice. Advance, give us the first installment. Give us a deposit. Let's secure this as a legal thing. You know, we understand the concept. God did that in the Holy Spirit. He made us promises. And he says, do you know how I'm going to keep my promise? I'm going to give you God in you. <laughs> Is that a pretty good down payment? That's not, I'm just going to give you a piece of me. He says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. That's all God. That's not a little bit of God. That's not a portion of God or a small percentage of God. That is God in you. He who began that work in you will complete it because he's in your life. He's in your heart. We struggle down here, but we have been given a wonderful Blessing, he has sealed us. He has sealed us. He has given us the Holy Spirit as a pledge. This will happen. Can I help getting excited about that? Man, I love it. I love these things. 
I'm just starting to introduce you to what this passage has to say about our Holy Spirit within us. So much, so much more to say as we go. But I want to say this. If you're struggling today, which some of us do, if you're struggling in your Christian walk and the whole study of the identity seems so hollow to you, you say, well, it might be good for somebody else, but I'm having trouble trying to match this up to my life. You're struggling, and, and, and you're living contrary even to the character of Christ. You're struggling with sin. You are not without hope. Okay? You're not without hope. God has placed within you the Holy Spirit of promise. His work, particularly, is to make sure you make it to the end. And he's never failed. And that's good news. That's where the promises will be realized. Do you know that? Do you know that? That's what I want to instill in you. If nothing else I could do is instill within you the understanding that it's God in you. His promises are true, and he will keep every one of them. Walk with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. That's what we're called to do. But doesn't it sound more inviting now? after realizing what he is doing in you right now? It's so important. It's so good for us. I, I can't wait to get on to the next parts of this uh, passage, too. But that's where I want to start. If you're struggling today, talk to him. Talk to him. Talk to the Lord. Say, I'm struggling. He knows that. He wants you to say it. Say, I'm struggling, Lord. Help me to see what you're doing in my life and help me to walk accordingly. Bring me back to that place where I'm stepping in tune with the Holy Spirit. Ask him for that today. If that's what you need, do that, please. Heavenly Father, we come before you today so thankful for what you're doing. What a great God you are. What a great God you are. You will not abandon us. You will not lead us, leave us in defeat. But you will bring us someday into your presence where we will be holy and blameless without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But we would be there to the praise of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you promised it. Thank you, Lord, for the promise, the pledge of our Holy Spirit within us. Thank you for all these things you're doing in us. Encourage us with this, Lord. If somebody today is really hurting, bring them back to their understanding that you're at work. You love them so much. And your ultimate goal will be realized. And for that, we all say thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you today for being our light and our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.